or just whatever's on your mind because we are going to talk about news, politics, sports, food. We've got travel that we'll be talking about. We're going to be going places. We've gone places. We're going to go places. So all of that is right here on the Y'all Show. We appreciate all of you tuning in and our great stations that carry this program. And now let me take a, a personal note to welcome you in as I've kind of given the broad overview. I just want to personally thank all of you for being a part of us. We've, we've had a lot of you throughout the last couple of months. We did this show every day for over right around two years. And then just like the rest of the world, we kind of had to do some changes when the coronavirus hit last year. And we're back. And I hope you and yours have been as well as you could have been. We've lost hundreds of thousands of Americans due to this virus. And some people I know, some people you probably have known, unfortunately we've lost. And let's just remember those folks, those good people that we've lost. And we've had a, a rough, rough go of it. We really have. And uh, th this is something none of us could have ever imagined when we turned the calendar over to 2020, but it, it happened. And it's been a rough go of it. We, it's been personally rough for most of us. It's been professionally rough for a lot of us. And we're gonna get through this. Now, we have a new day. It's a spring, it's springtime now. And I don't know about you, I get so excited every time this time of year when I see that first tree or first flower blooming, and it's a sign of a new day. And we just had Easter a couple of weeks ago, and, and we know that it's springtime in the south, and it's the most beautiful time of year here in this part of the world, and let's take advantage of it. We've got a rebirth here, and that's what we're going to do on the Y'all program, and I just can't thank you enough. I've had some tough times uh, when I talk about these virus the complications there and personal and financial and all I'm, I'm not a, an exception most of us have had a real real tough time and uh, but we've made it thankfully and thank the Lord for that and we certainly don't want to forget about those who've had a tougher time or some of those who may have lost their life we really really never want to forget that but if you're if you've been like me and you've had a hard time but you found a way to hang on then let's take advantage of what we got. Things are opening up across the Southland. We're seeing stadiums getting filled right now in terms of, of sports. And we're seeing people make their vacation plans. And so let's make the most that we can. And again, let's turn that page to a new day and a new opportunity. And that's what we're gonna do right here on the Y'all Show Talk with a Southern accent with your host, the general of all things Southern, John Rawl. Hey, we have an email address too. If you'd rather email us, you can email us and just send it to us at mail at y'all.com. M-A-I-L, mail at y-a-l-l.com. And we'll be happy to take your questions or, or suggestions there. Hey, recipes, if you have a favorite recipe. Yeah, we're not above talking about food here on the Y'all Show. We're going to do a, a fair amount of that because that's the one thing I think we can all agree on. But one of the things we also like to do here on the program is tell you what's going on across the South End. Let's get into some of the headlines that we know that's going on. And man, what a tough, tough story coming out of the coast of Louisiana. As you know, there was that rescue, the Seacor Power, the lift boat that capsized seven miles off the coast of Louisiana last week. And officials are still looking for people. And right now, eight miles off the coast, divers are continuing to find bodies unfortunately a few people were able to get off of this again what they call a lift boat i'm assuming you know the petroleum industry is so big in the pelican state 
and just outside of Port Bouchon, Louisiana. The Seacor Power had rough waves that it encountered last week and several people died and we can confirm that. A handful of people were able to get off this capsized boat during a storm on Tuesday of last week. But a search continues. More bodies were discovered there in that part of Louisiana over the weekend. So our thoughts to everybody, let's hope that as many people as possible hopefully can come out of this. But right now it is not looking very promising off the Gulf Coast of Louisiana. Another disturbing story, another shooting, this time in the southeast over the weekend in Austin, Texas. A man allegedly shot three people fatally and then went on the lam. And the authorities were looking for 41-year-old Stephen Broderick, a person that they labeled a fugitive search was going on in Austin. The interim police chief there, Joseph Shashan, said those who live near the shooting happened to shelter in place, but the search would go on to remain vigilant. And I think this Broderick guy, who's 41, was a former deputy, I think, in that Austin, capital city of Texas area. So a fatal shooting. Another shooting, there was also a shooting in San Antonio the other day. So it's just been a pretty rough, rough couple of days in terms of shootings across the nation. But here in the Southland, also we felt the brunt of some of this tragedy. Now, we had a shooting in Indianapolis last week at a FedEx facility in Memphis's own FedEx has now come out and said their no cell phone policy they have at their, I guess, distribution hubs is now coming into question as investigators are trying to determine a motive in that mass shooting at Indianapolis that killed, I think, eight people total. But police say a former employee shot and killed those eight people, injured several more at Indianapolis International Airport. And now that is a long way away from Memphis, but the, evidently the authorities and the officials at the FedEx headquarters in the Bluff City are now questioning their usage of cell phones. FedEx has a policy that restricts cell phone access in certain areas of operation, and the company says it's to minimize potential distractions, but perhaps because there was that policy in place, it was a contributor of why we saw eight people gunned down in Indianapolis. I know the the heads of FedEx are going to look into this and, and find out more of how to keep these items like this from happening in the future. But a, a, a really, really a tough week last week in terms of gun incidents. We had multiple mass shootings, and and uh, if you're a fan of the Second Amendment, it's already a tough time right now with what's going on with our political leaders in Washington D.C. and to have all of these deaths stack up here in just a couple of days has been really a, a tough go of it. But our thoughts off, of course, to those who were killed this past weekend in Texas. Another sad story from the South. This doesn't have to do with guns, but in Richmond, Virginia, a suburb there, a house fire has now claimed six people. The fire occurred over the weekend on Glass Road. That's in Chesterfield County, Virginia. The authorities there reported that a death toll included an adult woman and three children. A fourth child and a second adult woman also were initially hospitalized, but they succumbed to their smoke in, in, in what is that called? In, inhalation. And uh, now, unfortunately, the death toll in Richmond, Virginia, with that house fire climbing to six. Usually, a lot of times, a uh, house fire happens when it's a really, really harsh, cold streak that goes across an area. And I'm not sure what Virginia's weather's been like the last few days, but yeah, six people losing their life there in the capital city of 
Virginia. Hey, how about this crazy story coming to us from Florida? A nurse in South Florida appears to threaten Vice President Kamala Harris in some videos, and now she's being charged by the Secret Service. She put out a video that the Secret Service obtained saying, Kamala Harris, you are going to die. And now authorities have notified that the authorities that Nadine Petit Phelps made those threats while speaking to her incarcerated husband via an app called JPay, J-P-A-Y, and that allows people to communicate to prisoners. How about that? <laughs> I didn't think prisoners could have phones in the Hooskow, but evidently uh, Miss Phelps's man had a, had a phone and she was communicating and, and she came out and said that uh, she wanted to kill Kamala Harris and for that she's been a 20-year nurse at Jackson Hospital in Florida and now she's locked up in the federal pen and she is in a lot of trouble. Now one thing of note one of the reasons that she's upset with Kamala Harris is she felt like that Harris is not really black and said that the vice president placed her hand on her purse rather than the Bible when she was sworn in and that evidently is not true. Now we will let you know that Nivianne Petit Phelps, the woman accused of plotting to kill the vice president, is a black woman and she's in the jail right now. Okay, moving on to more stories across the southeast. Now, why in the world would someone do this? We're going to keep this in Florida, a lovely place, by the way, in the, in the Sunshine State, the Florida Keys. And in an effort to fight insect-borne viruses like Zika and malaria, genetically modified mosquitoes are being released in the Florida Keys. Now, do we really need more mosquitoes out there in the world? But a British-based biotechnology company called Oxitec they partnered with a Florida Keys Mosquito Control District and they're hoping to control an invasive and dis disease spreading female Aedes. I'm not sorry, I'm not very good at my, uh, uh, my medical terms or scientific terms there. The Aedes aegypti mosquitoes in the region. And these male mosquitoes, which don't bite, unlike the recently discovered yellow fever carrying. Aedes mosquitoes will be introduced in small areas in a select number of neighborhoods and if you're going to be in the Florida Keys this will be between mile markers 10 and 93. Look out! Intentionally released mosquitoes in the great state of Florida. That right there I think is going to interrupt my plan to head down to that part of the country real soon. Okay, we've got some more headlines coming up after this little timeout. We encourage you to stick around for that as this is the Y'all Show Talk with a Southern Accent. Hey Brad. Yeah, I knew we had nothing. What's going on here? All right, you gotta put your mic up. Yeah, but why is that music not coming through louder?
not hear it. I can barely hear it, but I mean, it should be bouncing here. Uh, I bet your volume on your thing is no, probably pretty good. Good. Is it up? We're back on the Y'all Show. Little Miranda Lambert here talking, talking about the South, and she had a big night. We're going to talk about the ACM Awards here in just a few minutes, as that was going down in Music City on Sunday evening on CBS. And I've got a thing or two to say about that, but we'll get to that here in just a second as we continue on with what's going on across the Southeast. 803-816-1170 is how you can catch us here on y'all talk with a southern accent all right what else is going on across the southeast we've already talked about mosquitoes and the keys and more hey did you hear about okay i know if you went to college there's a darn good chance you had a house party you attended at some point right and probably maybe a very strong chance alcohol could have been a part of that fun well, at UGA in Athens over the weekend, a floor collapsed during a massive house party on the UGA campus, and dozens were injured as Athens, the Athens-Clark County fire responded to this scene just the other day and were notified of an incident on Magnolia Bluff Drive near the UGA campus. And when they got there, a large number of people were inside the home and other rescue personnel had to end up coming. but. Yes, a lot of people injured here when a big party went out of control. I think I saw the estimates of around 500 people at this house party in Athens, Georgia, UGA, which I think uh, in, in a lot of cases people would say, yeah, that's a party school, all right. Well, party in this case that went out of control, we've seen, I think it was Clemson, not too far from Athens, about maybe two or three years ago, there was a really ugly house party there that ended up having a lot of injuries and possibly even a death but yeah you gotta be controlled but I would say with 500 people in one house at one time definitely not social distancing there you hairy dogs so we hope everybody can get out of that okay but that story out of the classic city and the University of Georgia all right are y'all ready for the next governor of the Lone Star State it could be Matthew McConaughey as a new poll comes out, and he is leading Greg Abbott there in the Lone Star State. Could, could, could Matthew McConaughey, I mean, are we serious about this? Is, is he serious? That's the bigger question. According to a recent release poll from the Dallas Morning News and the University of Texas, Tyler, 1,126 registered adult voters were surveyed, and this group consisted of 30% Democrats, 37% Republicans, and 33% who don't identify as either party, and results showed that 45% of the voters say they would support Matthew McConaughey over the incumbent Greg Abbott if, indeed, the likable, the uh, eccentric, the uh, wacky weed-loving actor decided to run for governor. He lives in Austin. To his credit, he wouldn't be necessarily coming in, parachuting in to run. He lives in Austin. He's obviously a native Texan. They, a, uh, uh, what do they call that, a 
Texas X. Uh, he's an alumnus of the University of Texas. So if, if he's getting 45% of the votes, Greg Abbott is now, according to this poll, 33% of those in the Lone Star State said they would support the current governor. And I think Greg Abbott's done a pretty darn good job in Texas. If you're a Texan, if you want to agree or disagree, let me know here. But especially when it comes to dealing with the coronavirus, Texas, and let's be honest, Texas was the very first state here recently to say, the heck with this, we're opening up. Mississippi followed on their footsteps. But yeah, that is, that's what's going on in Texas there, trying to throw Matthew McConaughey out as a likely candidate to run for governor. And I think that election is next year. In March, the 51-year-old actor did tell CNBC that he's not joking that he's testing the idea. He's actually looking at it and giving it serious consideration. As he told CNBC's Carl Quintetia, I have a new chapter for myself personally in my life. I believe it is some sort of leadership role. I don't know what that role is. I don't know my category. We've been talking about the why of leadership, and even I would say we need some more good leaders. And frankly, whether you like him or not, the election of Donald Trump to our nation's highest office truly proved that you don't have to have any political experience to become a political leader, the leader of a chief executive. In this case, it would be for Texas, but maybe the election of Trump will inspire a lot of people out there to consider a political career. And I think it did inspire a lot of people in the midterm elections to run in 2018 and even in 2020. But Matthew McConaughey, Governor Matthew McConaughey, seriously considering a run for governor in the state of Texas. Now, in the state capital of Mississippi, don't be too weirded out if you see a familiar face there in the next couple of days. And it's not because he's going to be running for the governor of Mississippi. Tate Reeves doesn't have to fear too much. Bruce Willis, the actor, is filming an action pick in Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah, how about that? Bruce Willis action thriller and he's going to be filming a bank heist movie called A Day to Die. And that's being filmed in several places, including a street outside Tate Reeves' own governor's mansion in Jackson, Mississippi. And I kind of have kind of kept up with films across the southeast over the last few decades and TV series and stuff. And I don't really remember Jackson, Mississippi's downtown ever really being part of any movie. I know that Canton, the county just to the north of Jackson, Mississippi, that's Madison County, it's the county seat. Canton, Mississippi is where the aforementioned Matthew McConaughey filmed The Time to Kill, and there's been other movies filmed just to the north of downtown Jackson, Mississippi. But now, in downtown J-Town, uh, home of one coach, Deion Sanders, by the way, Bruce Willis, who's 66 years old, is filming a new bank heist movie called A Day to Die. He's also, of course, starred in Pulp Fiction, The Sixth Sense, and going back to my days, I actually saw the filming of Die Hard 2 on the Grace Bridge in Charleston, South Carolina. Bruce Willis filmed that movie. Die Hard 2. Did y'all like that movie? Because I don't think it was quite as exciting as Die Hard, the original, but still, Bruce Willis in the Southeast right now. Check him out. A, a very, very talented actor, and he's right now hanging out in the capital city of the Magnolia State. Well, sadly, we have to let you know, let y'all know about a passage. Hester Ford has passed away. Ah, oh, man, tough, tough. Yes, Hester Ford. Now, why am I talking about the passage of Hester Ford? 
This woman who lives near Charlotte, North Carolina, born in South Carolina, by the way, in Lancaster County, she grew up picking cotton, married at 14, and went on to become the oldest living American with more than 120 great-great-grandchildren, and she died over the weekend. And she was either, get this, 115 or 116. You know you're old when you don't even know exactly how old you were, but yes, born in 1905 or 1906, one of those two years, born in Lancaster County, South Carolina. That is the county just to the south of Charlotte and moved to Charlotte where she lived most of her adult life. Her husband died in 1963 at the age of 57 years. How would you like to have had a husband die on you 50, uh, whatever, 1963, 58 years ago? And you lived 58 years without your loved one there. But yeah, she lived to be either 115 or 116, the oldest living American, Hester Ford, a good Carolinian. And we lost her over these last few days. All right, as promised, we're going to talk about the ACM Awards. I've got the list of winners, and I'm going to try to cue up some music here while I talk a little country music. By the way, music is one of the things we're going to talk about a good bit here on this show, in addition to sports and the other happenings across the South and East. And we are happy to do that here on the Y'all Show because we love our music, and we really like our Southern music, our, our country music, coming right out of Nashville. In fact, Tune in each week for Precious Harris, right on Music Row. She'll be here to give us the scoop of what's going on in country music, and, and we'll look forward to having her on here later in the week. But yeah, country music is a big part of what we do here on the Y'all Show, and we're just glad that you're a part of it. But yeah, we have a winner uh, on the Entertainer of the Year category from Sunday night's ACM Awards. And the ACM Awards usually is held in Las Vegas, but this year, the producer, Rack Clark, and the rest of the, I guess, staff at CBS moved this thing to Nashville, primarily to help Nashville out. Nashville's had a rough go of it with coronavirus shutting down most of the music industry, the bomb that exploded on Christmas morning, tornado in the spring of last year, flooding here recently. Yes, Davidson County has had a rough go of it. Entertainer of the year, on this latest ACM Awards, Luke Bryan. He beat out Eric Church, Luke Combs, Thomas Rhett, Chris Stapleton. Marin Morris was the winner of the Female Singer of the Year, Marin Morris, the Texan. And she, of course, had the song out a couple of years ago, My Church, and she was the winner of the Female Winner of the Year. The Male Artist of the Year, Thomas Rhett. Duo of the Year, Dan and Shay. Group of the Year, Old Dominion. And I saw them performing portion of the uh, of the award show last night. And how about a little hotel key as we talked about? Maybe I should play it. If you're going to talk a little country music, I'll play a little music, right? But yeah, here's a little Old Dominion for us in the background as we continue to talk about winners. They won the group of the year. New female artist of the year goes to Gabby Barrett, new male artist Jimmy Allen. Also album of the year, the winner was Chris Stapleton and Starting Over. Winner there, single of the year went to Carly Pierce and Lee Bryant. I love this song. What an awesome collaboration between the Kentuckian Carly Pierce and Lee Bryce, the Carolinian. I hope you're happy now that the song of that that was the single of the year. Song of the year went to the Bones from the aforementioned Marin Morris, and the music video of the year went to Kane Brown's Worldwide Beautiful Musical Event of the Year. 
the uh, the previously talked about Carly and Lee Bryce song, I Hope You're Happy Now. Some great winners. From Nashville, Tennessee, the ACM Awards held on CBS Sunday evening and a good time for those who were able to attend. You know, it almost kind of looked like a, a normal thing out there having a, an award show up and going. Now as we wrap up our news headlines from across the southeast, we'll take you to the great state of Alabama. And sorry, Alabama, this is not exactly the best of news for you. As Alabama, and we'll tell you who actually beat them in this list, has been named one of the worst U.S. places. Alabama finishes next to last. And this is a recent poll by YouGov, and it shows the list of worst places in America. The, the rankings were determined by asking people to choose the better between two states in a series of head-to-head matchups, state, states that were then ranked based on their win percentage. And come on, people. Hawaii took the top spot with 69% of its head-to-head matchups, kind of like a, almost like a basketball tournament here. Colorado was second with a 65% win percentage. I'll give you that, Hawaii. I can see where people would be. It'd be hard to go against Hawaii. But yeah, that, the listing there of the best states, but the lowest ranking states, and we'll go from the bottom 10, let's say 40, 40 to 50, and hint, hint, it's actually 41 to 51 because we'll tell you the lowest ranked states, in air quotes, are Kentucky had a 42%, Missouri 42%, South Dakota 40%, Indiana 40%, Iowa 39%, the South's own Arkansas with a 39%, New Jersey at 39%, and then you had the great state of Mississippi was 38%, and then next to last was Alabama on the list of the lowest ranking states of the worst places in America. Your worst place, according, again, to this survey put out by YouGov, of the worst place in the country is the great state of drumroll <laughs> uh, it would be Washington DC which is not a state but some in Washington are fighting hard to make that a reality so yeah there you have it DC is the worst state in the land yikes Okay, we have more of the Y'all Show coming up. When we come back after this timeout, we're going to switch over and give you a sports update. We had a pretty good weekend of college baseball. We'll tell you about some golf, and we'll mix in some Major League Baseball info as well. All that coming up here on the show that covers everything Southern. This is Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. We are back on y'all. Time to talk a little sports with you here. And we got college baseball, golf, and more to get to here in our Southern Sports Showcase. But we're going to talk out, coming right out of the gate here, right out of the chute. Did y'all realize that over the last roughly two months, we've had college football up and going? College football from the FCS ranks, and they just wrapped up over the weekend their spring regular season and it's time now for those who follow FCS football to get ready for the playoffs playoffs yeah playoffs for college football's 1AA ranks and let me tell you the 16 teams normally the FCS playoffs is composed of 24 teams across the southeast and in the south we have conferences like the Ohio Valley Conference 
the Southern Conference, also the Southland Conference, and some HBCUs play in the FCS ranks. But we can tell you that the Jackrabbits are your top seed in the new spring FCS playoffs that were announced over the weekend. How about them Jackrabbits out of, gosh, what is that town? See, I know all about the South. I don't know quite as much about other places around the country. I can tell you on a map what town we're talking about, so give me a second here. Let me educate y'all on the great state of South Dakota. I think it's Brookings, South Dakota is where you'll find South Dakota State, yes, Brookings. And when you're back in the state of South Dakota, Christy Nome country, Brookings is north of Sioux Falls, sort of in the southeastern corner of the state. And you know what's crazy about the way the state of South Dakota set up its university system? So Brookings is about as far east as you can get in South Dakota. It's only probably 10 miles from Brookings across the state line over to Minnesota. But did you realize that the University of South Dakota, we're talking about flagship university of that state, is in a town called Vermilion, and I hope I pronounced that right. Sorry for all of our South Dakota listeners. Vermilion, South Dakota is literally on the banks of the Missouri River looking across to beautiful Nebraska, also in the southeastern corner of the state. I'm talking southeast, southeast corner of South Dakota. So yeah, that whoever put the places in that state of where their major universities are, it's a long way from there to just about everywhere else in South Dakota, of course, I think the population of that state is over on the eastern side. By the way, I didn't know until recently, speaking of our South Dakota knowledge here, the state capital is spelled P-I-E-R-R-E. It's not Pierre. I think they pronounce it Perry, I think. And if I'm wrong, let me know. But yeah, right again, right on the Missouri River, it's on the east side of that river that kind of is halfway in the middle of the state that Perry, South Dakota is your state capital, not Pierre. I know it's not Pierre, but uh, that's our non-Southern info of the day to pass along. But the Jackrabbits of South Dakota State who won the Missouri Valley Football Conference are your top seed. Now, who else has made it to the FCS playoffs? And these games begin, by the way, April 24th, coming up this weekend. All games will be on ESPN3 this first round. And everybody, there's no bias here since they only have 16 teams in the FCS playoffs here of spring 2021. But Monmouth, who I think won the Big South Conference, Monmouth with a mighty football record this spring of 3-0. You win three games and you get to go to the playoffs. That's how out of control this whole thing with the virus has been. But they play at Huntsville, Texas. They'll be taking on Sam Houston State. That game will be noon on the 24th. Davidson, the Wildcats, home of Seth Curry. Yeah, they have a football team in the Pioneer League. And those Wildcats from Davidson will be traveling to East Alabama where the Gamecocks of Jacksonville State, which ended up being 9-2 in their spring. Jacksonville State, which won the OVC. They won their conference game and their championship game against Murray State the previous weekend. JSU, the Gamecocks, and Davidson will be a mid-afternoon game this week. Congratulations to the Virginia Military Institute Cadets. VMI won their first Southern Conference title in over 40 years. They got a victory this past weekend on the post there in the Military Classic of the South, the battle for the Silver Shaco. VMI wins by roughly 10 points over the Citadel Bulldogs, and VMI 
Oh, VMI, way to go. We are proud of you there in Lexington, Virginia, one of the great colleges of the South. And VMI gets the Southern Conference title with a 6-1 and one mark. They've got a great football team. Their reward for having an unbelievable season, the first championship in 40-something years, they don't even get to host a home game. They actually stay in the Commonwealth, and they'll be going up the road to take on James Madison, the Dukes, in Harrisonburg. And that's a game pitting the VMI Kedets at 6-1 and one against James Madison, JMU, a recent national champion in FCS. JMU is 5-0 and oh in this spring. Holy Cross will be at South Dakota State, which I told you is the top seed there in the FCS playoffs. The Eastern Washington Eagles will be at North Dakota State, of course, the Bison, a perennial power, and the, what, six out of the last seven years they won the national championship, but this year they are six and two. They lost to South Dakota State and they lost to Southern Illinois, so things aren't so good there in Fargo, North Dakota this year, but the, the playoffs are here and you, you just don't know what happened. How about Missouri State out of Springfield? The Bears making it to the playoffs. Now, why is Missouri State even that big of a deal to make it to the playoffs? Their head coach. Did y'all realize that the new head football coach of the Missouri State Bears is the one and only Bobby Petrino of Louisville and Arkansas Razorback motorcycle crash fame. Missouri State from Bass Pro Shops Country. During the playoffs, they'll be playing at North Dakota, the Bison Fighting Hawks. Also, did I say bison? No. North Dakota State. North Dakota is not the bison. That's North Dakota. North Dakota, the Sioux slash fighting hawks. I, I knew I'd get this right. The Salukis. We told you about what is going on in Carbondale. Well, they made it to the playoffs. Another Missouri Valley football conference member. I think five MVC schools made it to the FCS playoffs. They'll be out in Utah. Weaver State is going to be hosting the Salukis. And then Sacred Heart will be at Joe Biden's alma mater as the Delaware Blue Hands, the champions of the CAA, will be hosting Sacred Heart in a game this Saturday evening. And those are your 16 teams that made it to the FCS playoffs here for spring 2021. Congratulations. And again, ESPN, if you have ESPN+, Plus, all of these games will be there. And I think next weekend when we trim it from 16 to 8, you're going to see more teams on ESPN2 and the ESPN platform. If you like football, this is actual real football being played that actually counts for something. Championships are being crowned here in April of 2021. Now, I don't have numbers, I don't have stats, but we're seeing in terms of SEC, ACC, spring football is taking place. This isn't for necessarily championships. This is more for what you would normally have this time of year, spring football. I know Alabama just had a big spring game this past weekend, and Nick Saban was pretty happy about his quarterback, his heir apparent there for Mac Jones and Tuscaloosa. So yeah, depending on which team you like to follow from the college football world, we're seeing more of a traditional way of holding spring practices going on right now. Last year, most every college football program ended up having their spring shortened and or not held at all. And so we're hoping that maybe this is the start of something really good. Alabama in their spring game a five-star quarterback recruit, Bryce Young, impressed Saban and Moore in this spring game as he completed 25 of 44 passes for 333 yards, one touchdown, no interceptions for Young, the apparent heir apparent for Mac Jones as he's getting ready for the NFL draft here in a couple of days. So 
we'll cover all that here on the Y'all Show, getting you ready for the NFL draft as well. All right, we have, it's keeping it in the college ranks. Let's go to some college baseball and college baseball marching its way to Omaha. And we're going to give you an update on what happened here over the weekend, especially in terms of Sunday scores as UNC Charlotte out of the, what are they in? The Conference USA ranks, that's what they're in. They lost their finale against the Roadrunners of UGSA this past weekend. Notre Dame, they're ranked in the top 10. They were able to take care of NC State. And then you saw Vanderbilt in Knoxville get the win on Sunday, 10-4 over the Tennessee Vols. In some polls, Tennessee is ranked as high as number three. And Vanderbilt, with that win, 10-4 Sunday, Vanderbilt ranked number two. Tim Corbin's team is always really good. And what a great testament to the Tennessee Vols baseball program that they're as high as they are. That's been sort of the weak link for the men's athletic programs on Rocky Top. And now it looks like the Vols have a legitimate contender for postseason and a great series. I know they had a lot of fans in attendance there in Knoxville this weekend for that in-state SEC East battle between the Vols and the Vanderbilt Commodores. The North Carolina Tar Heels upset the Pitt Panthers on the diamond. Texas Tech is a very good college baseball team. They went up to West Virginia this past weekend and they were able to get a victory or two there. The Louisville Cardinals and Dan McDonald with a win Sunday over the Virginia Cavaliers. Louisville ranked seven right now in some of the polls. Also, you had Texas. They kind of took a break from Big 12 play and they took care of Abilene Christian on the diamond this past weekend. The Golden Egg was held in Starkville this past weekend, and Mississippi State won that series with two victories over the Mississippi Land Sharks on Sunday. Chris Lamont's team with the 7-5 victory there at Duty Noble Field, Stark Vegas, and MSU claiming the golden egg of college baseball. Southern Miss got an upset on Sunday over the Louisiana Tech Bulldogs. That game played there in what is that uh, parish? They have that. Uh, I should know. I'll, I'll think of it here in a moment. But uh, yes, right there uh, in North Louisiana, Southern Miss goes on the road in Conference USA action and wins in Lincoln Parish, I think is the name of that parish. It just came to me. An upset on Sunday, Texas A&M with a win over number one, Arkansas. The Aggies 11-10 there in Fayette, Fayette, uh, Fayetteville, Arkansas. And then in the South also, we will tell you that a game was postponed in top 25 action on the diamond. East Carolina, Houston was postponed because of COVID here this past weekend. All right, let's take a quick break and we'll wrap up this hour after this timeout as the Y'all Show continues. We are we're talk and we do it with an accent on we'll back here as we cover the Southeast. We'll have more sports headlines coming up in the second hour as well as some more headlines and our Takapola storyteller Jerry Short will be joining us here in hour number two. Just an action-packed show each and every day here as we're up and going talking about all y'all on y'all. Okay, in addition to the fun that we have here on the program, and we encourage you to share it if you get a chance, go to our website, y'all.com, Y-A-L-L.com. Hey, we also like to inform. We like to tell y'all what's going on in the South in terms of history and more. And taking a look at what's going on here in this week of Southern history, I have two characters out of the mid-19th century that we're going to talk about briefly. And they both kind of tie into the Civil War, but both of these guys kind of had more of a role before and just after the hostilities 
began. And the first guy I'm going to talk about is a fellow that some of you might have heard the name. You might even go down a road from time to time that's got his name on it. But you might not know a whole lot about this guy. And in the earlier part of this hour, we told you about this recent survey that came out that listed the worst states in America. And Alabama was next to last as being the worst state. And Washington, D.C. was considered the worst, quote, state in America. Who is our country's worst president? Who is the country's guy that just uh, went down in infamy? Now, some people might say it was our most recent president, a guy named Donald Trump. Some might say it was his predecessor, Mr. Obama. Some say it might be the guy that's in there now. Jimmy Carter wasn't necessarily, he's a southerner, but a lot of people don't really consider him that great of a president. A lot, a lot of people really, if they look at it closely, they have to at least get beyond the current presidential lineup and go back to the early portion of our country's history. And you really have to look at two guys from that Civil War time period as being the worst presidents. Okay, it was Abraham Lincoln. No, I'm just kidding. I, I think Andrew Johnson, because he was the first president to be impeached, would be one of the worst presidents, according to most outlets. But I would say Honest Abe's predecessor just might be the worst president in our country's history. James Buchanan is who I speak of. And the reason we're bringing him up is J.B. was born this week, April 23rd, 1791. He was born, and he was not a Southerner, and I don't want to give him too much press here on today's Y'all Show. But he had a definite impact on the South and in our, on our country, and it wasn't necessarily for the best of reasons. James Buchanan was born in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And he was born in the year 1791. And where he was from, the county he was from in Pennsylvania was literally on the border with Maryland. So he was born as about as far south in the north that you could go. He died in 1868, by the way, just a few years after the Civil War came to an end. But he was really, if you look in history, a guy who just didn't help keep a, a bloody conflict from ultimately happening. He, the, the country was at odds, and he didn't do anything to help cool it down with some of his decision making. I'm not going to sit here and litigate the era before the Civil War with y'all here as we get this show for this week going. Look him up. I'm just bringing James Buchanan's name out so that you can take your own time to research him. And, and find out what did he do that was so bad. And as I said, he, in some ways, sided with the South. Even though he was the President of the United States, he was very sympathetic to the Southern cause. In fact, his Vice President was a guy from the great state of Kentucky, John Breckinridge. John Breckinridge ended up becoming the Confederate States Secretary of War, was an officer of the Confederate Army. This guy was Vice President under James Buchanan, and then ended up directly going against the United States. In fact, Breckenridge became a senator for Kentucky just before resigning, a senator in the U.S. Senate before resigning to go join his state's effort in the, in the Confederacy. But here's a, uh, an example of James Buchanan having a, a, a Southern, I guess, sympathetic deal going on just before the Civil War. So did he help stem the tide of the Civil War? Likely not. Likely not. And that's why he goes down as possibly one of the worst presidents in the history 
of the United States. Now, one thing of note, as I said, he was a Southern-leaning guy. He had, according to some, a a lover. And, and how about this? James Buchanan, many say, was our country's first and possibly only homosexual president, as he's alleged to have had a, an affair with his roommate, as it was speculated that he and William Rufus Devane King, who was from Selma, Alabama, and was kind of one of your up-and-coming political guys, they were alleged to have been lovers back in the early part of the 19th century. Yeah, check that out. James Buchanan, possibly our country's first and possibly only homosexual president, but he's one of the worst presidents, according to many. And finally, as we talk about Southern history here this week, it was on that we told you about James Buchanan being born this week, but James Buchanan born this week, but John Wilkes Booth met his fate here this week in 1865. It was April 26, 1865 that John Wilkes Booth, the assassin of Abraham Lincoln, was killed at Port Royal, Virginia at the age of 26 years old as he was burned in that barn there as the authorities, after a couple of weeks of looking for him after what happened at Ford's Theater, were able to track him down and end his life there in Virginia. John Wilkes Booth killed this week, April 26 of 1865. See, now what a combination here on the Y'all Show, getting you some history and telling you all kinds of other good stuff that is going on across the Southland. Well, we're not done here. We've got more to cover. So we want you to stay where you are when we come back after this timeout. We're going to take a break and come right back with headlines, more headlines of what's going on across the Southeast. And our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, will be on as well. And Jerry's going to be on to tell us about what's going on in Takapola. He is a guy who you kind of have to wonder if he's telling you the truth. And I can tell you from my own experience, if Jerry Short tells you something's going on, there's about a 99% chance that it actually is probably going on. So adhere to the guy. He knows what he speaks of. All that is coming up right after this, so don't go away. More of y'all talk with a southern accent is coming right up. With their cell phone usage to help restrict some of the slip-ups there with that Memphis-based company. More headlines from across the southeast. Did you hear about the nurse from South Florida who threatened Vice President Kamala Harris? Threatened her life, actually, and now she's locked up in the in the old uh, joint because she made these threats. 39-year-old Nivian Petit Phelps made threats to Vice President Harris's life, speaking to her incarcerated husband on an app that allows you to talk to prisoners. Did you know that such a thing exists? They've got apps for everything, including how you can talk to your loved one in, in the poke. I mean, come on. Yeah, Kamala Harris, you're going to die, is what Phelps allegedly says in one video that she sent to her husband back in February. And this is part of a complaint filed in a South Florida district court. She wrote, your days are numbered. She stated that someone had paid her 53000 to do the job. Okay, I don't know what she meant by that, but yeah, Miss Phelps plotting to kill Vice President Kamala Harris, and she's a South Floridian, and she also very upset that Harris is not really black, and said that the Vice President placed her hand on her purse 
rather than the good Bible when she was sworn in back on January 20th. So a southerner in, in a lot of trouble right now with that story coming out of Florida. Also in Florida, the Florida Keys were seeing a release of genetically modified mosquitoes because right now they're trying to find a way to stem the growth of mosquitoes in the, in the Florida Keys, so that's going on. To Athens, Georgia, a house party there. College guys, college gals have a lot of fun until the floor crashes in. About 500 people at a party on the UGA campus and authorities from the Athens Clark County Fire Department had to come out to check out what happened there. But a lot of people injured, dozens injured during this massive house party of where social distancing kind of went out the back window on that one. And to Texas, Matthew McConaughey is possibly going to run for governor. A poll's showing that he's seriously considering. And he's and the poll comes out showing that he's actually leading 45% of the voters, which kind of was a little bit more of a Republican-leading poll. 45% said they would support McConaughey over Greg Abbott, the current governor of the Lone Star State, if indeed the actor decided to run for the chief executive position of that state. Bruce Willis filming a movie in the state of Mississippi. He's in Jackson right now filming a movie called A Day to Die and that started filming here this month and he's shooting scenes in several places including a street just outside of the governor's mansion there in Jackson, Mississippi. I guess that would probably be around Pearl Street if I had to guess. Yes, a downtown business group called Downtown Jackson Partners there in the Mississippi State Capitol is working to keep that area safe and clean and because they're going to have special effects and explosions that will be filmed there today as well as Tuesday near the governor's mansion. So <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of excitement, a lot of uh, explosions going off in Jackson, Mississippi. This time it actually was planned and not, not some other kind of explosion that you might find there in that capital city. Hester Ford passed away over the weekend. She was the oldest living American and she was either 115 or 116. We're not really quite sure of the exact age of this woman who was born in Lancaster County, South Carolina in 1905 and that's if you have the conservative go with her age that would put her right at 116 if that was the case but she married at age 14 she had 12 children and I think she has 120 great great grandchildren living right now I bet you she's not too far off from having great 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 three great grandchildren just to give you an idea of some of you out there, how far back does your great-great-grandparent normally go? She has 120 living great-great-grandchildren. My great-great-grandfather, the second great-grandfather, was born in 1844 and was a Confederate private. And a lot of you, if you trace your family back to who might have fought in the Civil War, have third great-grandparents. So I'm kind of a my generation took their time, my ancestors kind of took their time having kids, it looks like. So, I mean, imagine me here in 2021 knowing who my great-great-grandfather was. Well, these 120 descendants of this lady, Hester Ford, knew her. That's just one of the weird things. And here in the South, we love our family, we love our history, and so we're, we're happy to know that that was a white life well-lived there by this lady who died in Charlotte, North Carolina, Hester Ford, dying at either 115 or 116. Either way, a life well lived. In Nashville, Sunday night on CBS, you might have tuned in, and Keith Ibben, alongside 
a lady named Mickey Guyton, co-host of the 56th Annual Academy of Country Music Awards, and that was hosted from the Grand Ole Opry, but they also have performances coming from the Ryman Auditorium, and we have a bunch of winners. Now, I'm sorry, I know a lot about country music. I've covered country music for gosh knows 30 years now. I've worked in Nashville. I've worked on 16th Avenue. I have a pretty good knowledge of country music, and I hate to see it, but this year's Academy of Country Music Awards, in my opinion, was woke. They went the woke route, and I don't like that. Part of that reason, the reason I say that, is Mickey Guyton co-hosted the show. Mickey Guyton has not had a hit song. She was on there for one reason, as a co-host. Not just as a performer, but as a co-host, because of her race. Because she's a black female. That's the only reason she got co-host that thing. I can't tell you how many people I talked to when I told them, hey, are you watching this award show? Yeah, who is that? They didn't know who she was. I wouldn't know who she was, except I get press releases all the time about her, and she's never had a hit song. I mean, get a hit song, and I can't criticize you. But that is a coveted position to be the co-host of a major award show, and she's not done anything in country music from a success standpoint. And there's other more willing, more deserving people who probably should have had that co-host than her. Very woke, very woke, bad on you, AC Awards. Now, this award show is normally not in Nashville. It's normally held in Vegas, but they moved it to Music City this year for multiple reasons. Luke Bryan won Entertainer of the Year. He was not able to come, though, as he tested positive for COVID-19. Last week, Mary Morris and Chris Stapleton were among the big winners as they won awards like the Female Artist of the Year. That's what Marin Morris won, the, the new mommy. And then you had Chris Stapleton winning for his great work. He won for the album of the year, Starting Over. He has a song that he co-wrote with his wife there that was the lead single for that album. But big winners from the Grand Ole Opry House in Nashville, Tennessee. And those are just some of the headlines from across the Southeast we get you going here on this start of the week edition of the Y'all Show. We will take a break, but when we come back on Y'all, we're going to get back into the fun, and we're going to have our Taco Paul storyteller, Jared Short, join us as he's going to tell us what's going on down in that part of the world. You're not going to want to miss it. It's coming up next here on the show that's all about the South. And we're back here on the Y'all Show as we discuss the Southeast and more, and we like to have fun, and we're going to have real fun now thanks to our Taco Paul storyteller, Jerry Short, joining us from that little special slice of Dixie and we're trying some things out here so I'm going to push this button and hopefully on the other end we'll find our Taco Polo storyteller Jerry Short. Hello sir, welcome into the Y'all Show. Are you there? Hello, hello. Okay, that did not work so I don't know what uh, what the story there is. Hello, hello. Hello, testing. Come in Houston. Uh, okay, we'll have to go another route there. We'll try to get him on in just a second. Uh, hey, did you hear about us in the first hour? We were talking about how Alabama was recently the runner-up on the list of worst places in the U.S. <laughs> Poor old Alabama. My goodness, how, how terrible to come in dead, almost dead like this. They finished runner-up in this, what did you call it, a poll? YouGov was the organization that did this. And they weren't last, but they were next to last. Now, some of the states that came in according to this 
poll that determined who was best and who was worst by asking people to choose the better between two states in a series of head-to-head -head matchups and then states were based on their win percentage Hawaii Hawaii the Aloha state was the big winner 69 percent of its matchups won Colorado was at 65 percent other states and some southern states did pretty darn well uh, Virginia 64 percent was the number there for them not bad there Virginia you had Nevada at 61%, North Carolina also at 61, and Florida also at the 61 ranking. Georgia came in at 58 as well as Texas. So those were some of your best states in this head-to-head -head matchup. And then you had poor old, you had poor old Alabama down there, pretty low. They were there toward the bottom of that ranking. And just above them was Mississippi. 38% for Mississippi, Alabama with right around that same number. The worst place according to this was the state of, and I say state because it's not quite a state, but some people are fighting hard to make it a state. Washington, D.C. Yeah, I said it with the R. Washington, D.C., 35% for its matchups as it became the lowest ranking state according to this survey. I think we might have had success here. Jerry Short, welcome into the Y'all Show, the Takapola Storyteller. Oh, we are, uh, we're here to talk to you, sir. And I'm going to try to bring this in better. Sorry, folks. We're we're working hard here. Keep keep talking to me, Jerry. All right. Try it now. All right. I saw that Hawaii, we just talked about Hawaii was number one. Do you believe that? No, uh, I don't know what they're being except vacation. But uh, number they had Washington State for instance, burning down Seattle. And it was about number two or three, I think. And then I saw uh, Minnesota was in the top uh, team, eight, number eight or so. So I told last week. And uh, I'm wondering, the best, how they got the best was more... I can't understand the worst either, and I can understand the best. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, but, yeah. Go ahead. We, we, we are letting people get introduced to the Takapola Storyteller here on the show with Jerry Short, our guest, the storyteller indeed. And I want to talk to you about how the South gets a bad eye. Usually we, we, we get bludgeoned normally on any of these kinds of polls, but before we get that input from you, Jerry, how, how are you doing? We had not talked to you in several months, our Takapola Storyteller. How's... How's everything holding up there in T-Town? Yeah, well, I guess uh, everything for, uh, we're considered is pretty good. Uh, we were number one in one category. Though, in Tacapola? No, uh, the state of Mississippi. Oh, Mississippi, okay. And which I would probably consider to be the top category. It was the cost of living, the cheapest place in the United States to live. So uh, that's not bad. You know, you can uh, buy 40 acres here for what you can buy one acre in uh, some of those top 10 states for. So, uh, it's depending on what you're looking for, I guess. Well, that, but now, that, what I'm doing, I'm doing okay. Again. Okay. How much is that mansion you got there in Takapola? How much is it going for these days? Well, I bought the place in the 80s for $300-something an acre. And I've been offered 4000 now. Oh. So, 
but it's old Grenada Lake. Oh, know, it's okay. Location, and I've done a lot of work on it and, and things like that. I've barn on it, but it's got a really good home on it, too. So, uh, and you throw all those things in it. But it just, it's kind of like location, 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 you know that. Yeah. And, uh, I just wanted to know if I wanted to pull up a double wide there in, in Takapola. What's my cost going to be to set up a, a fancy, fancy, fancy well, space there? Well, if I put you on the road facing the lake proper, I guess, since I, since I know you so well, I'll cut you a deal. We'll come up with something. Okay. I mean, it'll, it'll, be, it'll be affordable. All right. You. Well, you, you're talking about the cost of living being so good. I mean, even if you don't know me, I mean, I, I, you, you, I mean you, we need a deal. Okay, well, let's see. Somebody offered me uh, $10,000 for a uh, cabbage spot in that road dead end. But uh, I gave an ex old Miss football player eight acres of it. Did you? And, uh, but that was in the 90s. Uh -huh. uh, but I just gave it to him. And, uh, what a dummy. <laughs> Why would anybody just give anybody anything?
Why would Sears Roebuck have land here in the south? Join me there. It ought to be a lot of fun. changes they've enacted and 
and the radical things. I mean, whether you're Republican or Democrat, you can't you can't deny the fact that some of this stuff that they're trying to push for and will likely get are radical. I mean, making oh. D.C. a state? Are you kidding me? How can how can that even happen? Because it's, it was set up to not be a it was set up to be a, a district, just like it is. Well, I know, and I, you know, they got part of Virginia's land on the south side of D.C., and they got Maryland on the north side. I think they ended up giving the Virginia land, excuse me, back to Virginia, and they need to do the same thing to uh, to uh, uh, Maryland. Now, Maryland would come out smelling like a rose because I'm sure the property value has skyrocketed over on that side, but put on it. You know, let Maryland have it, and then let the capital be the capital. Saki would say, right. after this break, more conversation with the Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short. That's up next as the Y'all Show Monday edition continues. Don't go anywhere. And our number, 803-816-1170. You can text that if you've got something you want to ask Jerry about. I know he was just talking about land acquisitions and more. Uh, well, he's on here for just a few more minutes, and then don't forget, Hour 3, Art Cruz will be stopping by, and we'll get his take on the South as well. More sports headlines and more coming up, so don't miss out on the fun here talking about Dixie. Jerry, you and I were talking when we started today about the fact that the South, oftentimes, we were just mentioning Alabama coming up uh, next to last in this recent poll about the worst places and the worst states in America. Why does the rest of the country hate on the South and Jerry Short, Takapola storyteller's opinion? Well, I think it's still uh, on the grudge from uh, 1800. Uh, What's the grudge? I saw it. I didn't watch all the movie last night, but it was 
Jerry, we talked about Alabama being down there and the less than favorable rankings of this, but you see some states like you just talked about Georgia coming in pretty high as well as Florida, 61%, North Carolina and Virginia also. What 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 is the perception, that's the favorite word out there, what is the perception nationally that uh, Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia have got over places like Mississippi and Alabama and Arkansas even?
where your hate mail should go to Jerry Short if you ever go into Mobile and you smell paper mills uh, you're, the re you're the reason was that part of the Green New Deal I haven't really mentioned. I want to see what you think. Louisiana and the great state of Tennessee, I guess, can go either way as being best or worst because they're kind of stuck in the middle. Tennessee. Tennessee is, uh, you know, that's three states, if you want to get the way I look at Tennessee. 
Well, that's how they look at Tennessee. <laughs> it is divided into thirds. So. observation from you, our Takapola storyteller. Again, this is all going back to a recent poll that came out where some of our southern states didn't fare too well in this poll coming out from an organization called YouGov and Alabama, the next to last state. And uh, we've had our Takapola storyteller, Jerry Short, weigh in on all this and more. We hope you have a good week and it was wonderful to catch up with you again. Uh, and keep everything going there. What, what's the uh, most exciting thing going on in Takapola here this week? Well, I guess uh, the weather's really good today, and uh, spring's in the air, and uh, people are breaking up the land for crops, and uh, plant seasons at hand, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, pull this thing up to about uh, 49 or 48. <laughs> I like it. I like the optimism. The Takapolo Storyteller, Jerry Short, right here on the Y'all Show. And we'll get him back on here next week, same time, same station. Hey, we'll be right back to wrap up this hour of the Y'all Show. We're going to have a quick look at some business headlines from the South, including some big news for the Port of Savannah in Georgia. That is up next as we continue into this final segment of Hour 2 of Y'all. Well, let's talk a little business, if you don't mind. And we've had a rough go of it for most of us across the South and around the nation this last year with the virus and more. But some good news out of the Port of Savannah and Georgia's officials in the Peach State say record cargo volumes in the month of March have the Port of Savannah headed toward a big milestone for the 2021 fiscal year. The Georgia Ports Authority said that Savannah's on track now to handle 5 million container units of imports and exports when the fiscal year ends June 30th. That after the port saw 500,000 container units move across its docks in just the month of March. So the coronavirus pandemic kept growth at the Port of Savannah essentially flat in the fiscal year 2020, but business now roaring back. So if things are coming in to the Port of Savannah, that means commerce is going and maybe people are making lots of money all throughout the rest of the country as a result of that as the Port of Savannah, as well as of course New Orleans and the other ports of the South are rearing and going, roaring and going with imports and hopefully we got a lot of exports heading out of these ports across the southeast of uh, some of our southern businesses we hope making lots and lots of money. A tragic story coming out of Spring, Texas from the business world as a Tesla car crashed there and two men were killed in Spring, Texas and the car burst into flames according to reports. One person was found in the front passenger seat, another in the rear passenger seat of the vehicle 
and yeah the authorities there in texas are looking hard but yeah the, evidently this car was on autopilot as these tesla cars offer that option this was a 2019 model s tesla crashed into a tree and burst into flames and if you're a stockholder of tesla i'm sure the stock's not doing too good firefighters used 32,000 gallons of water spent hours trying to suppress the fire and i saw a, a news story about this the thing wouldn't go out and unfortunately a 59 year old and a 69 year old man killed in texas after this tesla burst in to pay momentarily we also have art Cruz here this hour and he has no agenda but he hopefully has something to say. Art, welcome into the all show. Thank you, John. I appreciate you having me in here this morning. Yeah. Beautiful day outside. It is a wonderful day across the southeast. A day that you can truly wear shorts and a t-shirt if you'd like, and and make it uh, feel like it's really the south in the springtime. So we're we're going to have all that coming to you as well, and also give you an idea later in the hour what we have in store here on the show that's all about the south for the entire week. All that here on y'all. So as I want to tell people it is football time in the south and we've got some fcs football playoffs it was just announced 16 teams will be playing here this starting this weekend in the fcs playoffs and some of our southern teams that will be sitting up the bearcats of sam houston state will be hosting monmouth in a game on saturday davidson will be in the fcs playoffs the spring edition of course these playoffs of college football happening because fcs for the most part did not play in the fall so they pushed their season to the spring and the Davidson Wildcats will be in East Alabama taking on the Jacksonville State Gamecocks in the FCS playoffs round one this weekend. James Madison, the Dukes out of Harrisonburg, Virginia, they're going to be having a home game against their fellow Old Dominion State FCS opponent, the VMI Cadets, winners of the Southern Conference for the first time in over 40 years. What a great job there by Coach Walkham and Walkenheim, I think is his name and the great VMI, the Corps Cadets and more, they win the Southern Conference and they're in the playoffs for the very first time. Virginia Military against v, against James Madison this weekend. You also have in the South, the Missouri State Bears will be playing North Dakota. And have you, did you know who their coach was, Art? I do not. A guy named Bobby Petrino. Oh, you're kidding. No. He landed there. He landed there and he's got him in the playoffs. Oh my goodness. Well, he's a winner. He is a winner. Whatever you want to say about Bobby Petrino, one thing you cannot call him is a loser. He wins everywhere he goes. Now, they played one game that I'm aware of in the fall. You might have seen this game. Missouri State played one game before they ended up shoveling their season into this spring. But they played a game against the Oklahoma Sooners in September of last year and got beat pretty bad. But Petrino, back in the coaching ranks, has Missouri State out of Springfield. They're going to be against the North Dakota Fighting Hawks this weekend. And then you have Joe Biden's alma mater will be suiting up and playing a home game as they're the winners of the CAA. Sacred Heart and the Delaware Blue Hens will be your last game of the FCS playoffs here this weekend. So football is up and going. Check it out over these next couple of weeks on ESPN and the ESPN app. You can see some college football being played. And a lot of these teams are going to play a full season starting in September. So they've got a short turnaround for, for a lot of these teams. Uh, I know just off the top of my head, our conference champions from the Southeast, you have a VMI out of the Southern Conference, you have uh, uh, Davidson won the Pioneer League, then you also had out of the Southland, I think Sam Houston State won that one, and then out of the OVC, the Jacksonville State Gamecocks, they defeated 
Murray State the weekend before last to claim that conference. So those are your champions. Now we'll find out who wins the national championship soon. All right, college baseball. Did you have a chance to see any of that from this past weekend, Art? I look forward very much to Tennessee and Vanderbilt. I saw most of that series, too. Very, very talented teams. Teams full of guys that are going to be drafted in the upcoming Major League Baseball draft. Uh, I was uh, pleasantly surprised uh, that Tennessee was able to win a game. Uh, that's To me, that was a series win for Tennessee. The fact that they won a game, they didn't have to win the series. Of course, Tennessee going into that series had won four straight SEC series. And that's the first time that had happened since 1970, 51 years ago. And if they had beaten Vanderbilt, it would have been the fifth series win. And to my knowledge, that's never happened. Tennessee baseball, but Kumar Rocker was tough for Vanderbilt on Friday. Uh, on Saturday, uh, Tennessee came through and uh, beat Al Leiter's son, and Evan Russell, local product from Lexington, Scotts Hill High School, hit a grand slam home run on Saturday. Uh, he hit three home runs in a game this weekend. The second time, Evan has hit three home runs in a game for Tennessee. Uh, as I said, uh, Evan Russell had a fantastic series, local product from Scotts Hill High School. Good for him. And again, Tennessee loses the, the series, but ends up getting one win against Tim Corbin's Vanderbilt Commodores. And I don't know if you heard what Corbin said about the attendance, but a, a good job there by the Big Orange for coming out and supporting this baseball program at, is it Lindsey Nelson Field? Lindsey Nelson Stadium. Stadium. Uh, the, uh, the fanatics that you see when you tune in to watch Tennessee baseball uh, are seated along the first baseline. They're, these are students that uh, have a good time before they get there, and due to the fact that beer sales are now legal at SEC games, they have a good time after they get there, too. Uh, these students fill up the, the rows, as I said, along the first baseline. They call themselves the Legends of Lindsey Nelson. And in my mind, it's the first time you've seen this kind of support for a Tennessee baseball game. The first time, not the first time since name or year, but the first time. And these kids come over and really make it hard on whoever is coaching first base for the opposing team. And when the opposing team takes the field, they really make it tough on the first baseman. There's, as an old baseball player and a pitcher, since you pitch only one day uh, and then sit for four, you learn how to be a bench jockey and what you say to the opposing teams to get under their skin. And some of the stuff coming from the legends of Lindsey Nelson was just great. I tip my hat to those guys. Tim Corbin, as you said, uh, he basically threw the gauntlet down to Vanderbilt University and their fans saying, I, I wish we had that type of support back in Nashville when we played. Because, uh, as you said, John, uh, the rules were relaxed. I don't know what rules were in place uh, for COVID uh, during this weekend series. I know before Tennessee played Vanderbilt, attendance was sparse and there was social distancing going on in the stands. And it looked like a normal, what we have come to see as a normal COVID-attended game. I don't know whether protocols were broken. I don't know if protocols were changed. But there was a full house in Lindsey Nelson all weekend to watch Tennessee and Vanderbilt. 
big house there. Also, a bigger house in Starkville as Mississippi State takes two of three from Mississippi and probably 35,000 people in attendance there at Duty Noble Field over the weekend for these in-state rivals, the Egg Bowl on the Diamond. Now, if you've never attended a baseball game in Starkville, you haven't lived. I mean, you, it is a rare treat. Uh, everything, you talk about students being involved, they are at Mississippi State, especially when they play Ole Miss. We talked about Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State. Four very, very good baseball teams. Uh, perennially ranked in the, in the top ten. The SEC is strong this year, John. I think uh, six out of the, about six out of the top ten or twelve teams in the country are SEC teams. So uh, we have no doubt the strongest baseball conference in the country, uh, as well as having the strongest football conference in the country. Yep. All right, let's, uh, I don't think the rankings for the new week have totally been, well, I'm seeing here updated today. So let's go through the top 25 after the shuffling of teams here from this past weekend. Arkansas, which I know did lose a game against Texas A&M, they remain number one according to D1Baseball.com. They check in number one there. Coach Van Horn's hogs high and mighty right now in college baseball. The Vanderbilt Commodores, of which we were just bragging on, Coach Corbin He's got a lot to be proud of with his team going on the road and winning that series on Rocky Top. They are number two in the latest top 25 of D1 baseball. The Texas Longhorns off to a good start there at three. Mississippi State climbs to number four with their series win over their in-state boat. The Red Raiders of Texas Tech are at five. Now they had an injury to one of their key players and it appears going to be out for the season. So they're at five. Tennessee drops down to number six in this latest D1 baseball poll, but still a very good resurgence of college baseball for UT. Louisville and Dan McDonald come in at number seven. TCU is at eight. The the American Conference's East Carolina Pirates are in the top ten at number nine. The South Carolina Gamecocks have come back around in college baseball. They are at 11 after losing in Starkville. Mississippi is at number 12. Louisiana Tech out of Conference USA is at 14. The Gators of Florida, I don't know what's going on there. This is the team that started out the season number one. Number one, yeah. They are at 15 right now in the new college baseball poll. you got the 49ers of Charlotte. They're at number 19, CUSA team there. Also from that same conference, hey, Power Conference, Conference USA, the Old Dominion Monarchs are at number 20 right now. Virginia Tech from the ACC at 22. And rounding up to the Southern teams in the top 25, the Pokes of Oklahoma State at 24, and Florida State is at 25 in the latest college baseball rankings. Hey, to NFL, how about this? The guy hasn't even been drafted. Trevor Lawrence and his wife have donated, his new wife, I think he got married right. about two weeks ago, donating $20,000 to the Jacksonville Charities after a Jaguars fan as a, as a wedding gift. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Have you seen this uh, I've, I've, I've heard about it yesterday. How about 20000 just because he's a nice guy? I guess he's got $20,000 already. Oh, I'm sure that he has, uh, well, I'm not sure, but these guys have obviously additional streams of income other than what they get from the team. So I would imagine Mr. Trevor Lawrence has signed a shoe contract and other contracts. <laughs> a hair contract. A hair contract, a hair products contract. So I don't think he's hurting for money right now. Uh, he and, and he got paid at Clemson, let's be honest. Well, uh, <laughs> if you want to talk about getting paid in college, yeah, we can. We can, we can go there because you're right. Uh, anybody who is so naive to think he didn't get paid at Clemson or wherever he went, uh, uh, 
we can have a we can have a conversation with that person because uh, they get money. But seriously, you know, he, he's got money now. I'm sure he's his agent has lined up shoe contracts, hair products, whatever else. So a good a good stroke from uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence, who I assume knows what everybody else knows, which is he's going to play in Jacksonville. He's going to play for Jacksonville, and uh, the only question is who's going to be chosen second, third, or fourth in the draft, but Mr. Lawrence is going to be with Urban Meyer. All right, Art, you can help me with this. A passage from the NFL from over the weekend. Fred Arbonis from the Kansas City Chiefs, a member of the Kansas City Chiefs Hall of Fame. He died at the age of 82. You're going to have to help me. I'm not familiar with him. That's Fred Arbanis. Okay. Vaguely. Gosh, John, you're, you're, you're really testing me right now. You're, I have to go back in the memory bank for was he a tight end? I believe I remember Fred. I, I don't know if the story says, but I vaguely remember Fred Arbanis playing back in the day. So the AFL, uh, I think it was a Hank Stram coach team. Uh, he might have been after the movie. He was a member of the 60s and 70s teams. Yeah, yeah. And he was part of the 1962 AFL title. There you go. Uh, at least well, I got that right. He was a member of the Kansas City Chiefs before the merger of the AFL and the NFL. And yes, fans, that's how teams like Kansas City, Oakland, uh, back then they were called the Dallas Texans, teams like that were playing in another league, not in the National Football League, a completely separate league. And the Super Bowl initially was a game between the AFL champion and the NFL champion. Soon after that, though, uh, the leagues merged and there no longer is an AFL. They're all under the NFL umbrella. Fred O'Banis, man, you talk about going back in time, John. Well, Fred. I thought you might be a little older than me, so I thought you might be, oh, yeah, that's a name. I used to have his picture on the wall when I was a kid. Well, why would you think I'm older than you? I've just taken a wild guess. But, yeah, <laughs> passage there for the Chiefs fans out there. And I wanted to also get your take on Major League Baseball. I didn't really watch much this weekend. I had golf on my mind, and there's a really heartwarming story in terms of golf. But uh, what's your recap of the weekend in MLB? Well, Ronald Acuna Jr. had uh, is injured for the Braves. Of course, he's an integral part of uh, the Braves' uh, offense. It looked like he suffered an abdominal strain while he was on base, diving back into first on a pickoff play. Now, he did stay in the game and eventually scored a run, but while he was on the bases, he kept holding his stomach, and when he slid across home plate head first, he really, at that point, made it clear that he had a stomach problem, and so he's out. It'll be uh, interesting to see how long he's out because obviously the Braves need his bat in the lineup. The, ba the Braves have been suffering like some of the other teams that that have uh, fans here in Jackson, Madison County, in the area. They've moved their lineup. They've shuffled their lineup around. They've moved Freddie Freeman back into the number two spot. Marcel Ozuna's back in the three-hole, and I think uh, the Braves will be having uh, a better lineup, better hitting with that reshuffling. Uh, the Cardinals, uh, once again, get good pitching one day and you get hitting one day, but you never have good pitching and good hitting on the same day. I know the Cardinals had a game where they scored 14 runs this past weekend and then scored zero after that, and yesterday they were shut out. Shut out by the Phillies and uh, Cardinals are a team that you look at them and you think, well, they may need an arm, another pitcher, and you're right. 
Tinseltown Dodgers. They have by far the best record in the league, 13 and 3. I think they took their series over the Padres mm -hmm. this weekend. Big series. Yeah, Big series so. this weekend for the Dodgers and the Padres. And that's going to be a rivalry to really watch. Dodgers are, are the best team, in my opinion, in baseball, and San Diego is in the top five. Unfortunately for San Diego, they play in the same division as the Dodgers. So it's going to be near impossible for the Padres to overtake the Dodgers. Uh, it's funny, John, the, the best team in baseball is in one of the biggest markets in the country, the Dodgers, and probably the worst team right now, probably won't be later on, but the worst team right now is in the other major market, New York. The Yankees, so far, are just horrible. Uh, they're 5-10, I believe, right now. Uh, New York fans are... New York fan, Yankee fans are literally losing their balls. They, they are. <laughs> they are. Uh, go, go look that one up if you need yeah, help. Yeah, uh, the FCC may be listening, so I'm, I'm just going to uh, I mean, I'm, I'm serious. They threw balls on the field this past weekend in their game against whoever they were. Well, patience is not something that you usually mention along with the Yankee fans. So, uh, yeah, uh, watch what you give as souvenirs, uh, Major League teams, <laughs> because you may find it. Uh, back on the field yeah. uh, if the fans are dissatisfied. Hey, and a heartwarming story as we wrap up our sports talk with Art Cruz here. On a Monday, how about the world of golf? Stuart Sink, he is nearly 48 years young and he won for the second time this season. His son, Reagan on the bag for him. His entire family there at Harbortown, Hilton Head Island, South Carolina. And he dominates the RBC Heritage and wins. What a heartwarming story when a father and son together win on a, I think, almost major. This is a great tournament. I love this tournament, mainly because it's so pretty on Hilton Head Island. But secondly, I like the fact that these are small greens and it, it's a really different course compared to the rest of the PGA Tour. Now you've got to think your way around this Town course at Hilton Head. Uh, many courses today favor guys that can really lean on the ball off the tee. And if you can hit it uh, 330, 340 yards, uh, you have a distinct advantage over your competitors. But Harbortown uh, doesn't necessarily cater to guys like that. Although Stuart Saint, for a 47, 48-year-old guy, he averaged something like uh, 310 yards off the tee. So uh, he's really rejuvenated the second time, as you say, second time Stuart Saint has won on the tour this year. 
and he becomes only the fourth player in PGA history to win twice in one year after his 47th birthday. Uh, we've got Stuart Sink has done that now, and the others are Sam Snead, Julius Boris, and Kentucky's own Kenny Perry. Look at you bringing the heat. Our crews here on today's Y'all Show. And another thing, going back a week, a thing that might have been overlooked, but Stuart Sink actually qualified for next year's Masters. He finished in the top 12 or ties in the in the Masters held the previous right. week at Augusta. So he would have been back at, well, yeah, he would have been back for that. But now he's going to go back anyway as a winner, two-time winner on the PGA Tour here this year along Stuart Sink. Florence, Alabama's own and an alumnus of the Ramblin' Wreck of Georgia Tech. To hell with Georgia. Way to go, <laughs> Stuart Sink. All right, we will. Our leader, our fearless leader and captain of the y'all show is John Rawl. John has graciously allowed me, Art Cruz, to sit in with him on the last hour of the show. Uh, tune in, John, and the y'all show every day on 105.3 from 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. where all things Southern will be talked about sports, cooking, news, anything having to do with our home that we love to call home south of the Mason-Dixon line. Of course, stories creep above the Mason-Dixon line from time to time, but the Y'all Show is mostly about our life in the south. Again, Captain and fearless leader John Rawl, and it's my pleasure right now going into the last half hour of the last hour to introduce once again Mr. John Rawl. Thank you, Art and Art Cruz, our fearless co-leader here this uh, hour. And Art, what's what's going on at the Cruz household? Well, the Cruz household around the dinner table, John, lately is, uh, I hope I uh, can uh, reflect the opinions of, uh, of what we've been uh, tossing about. The thing that bothers me is this court packing plan that Joe Biden uh, has talked about and a bill has been introduced in the House to pack the court to change the number of justices from 9 to 13. That's not a strictly Southern topic, but the Supreme Court, if you don't think the Supreme Court affects everyone in the North and the South and the West and the Midwest, uh, look back on your history. A lot of the things that we do today, a lot of our conduct is guided by what happens with those nine justices in the Supreme Court. And John, because the Democrats are not able to push their legislative agenda successfully through these days, so they have a majority in the House, they have a majority in the Senate, but the Supreme Court sits there and is able to strike down any laws it sees as unconstitutional. And right now, the Supreme Court is the only thing standing in the way of the democratic, what I would call chaos, uh, the democratic agenda, and the rest of the country. So in order to remedy that fact, the Democrats want to add members to the court so that they will have the majority of the court, uh, not the court that is appointed by the president. And I think, quite frankly, John, that is just an attack on one of our institutions, a broad, uh, bold-faced attack on the Supreme Court will upset that delicate balance that has allowed this republic to be in existence since the 1700s. And Donald Trump warned about this prior to the 2020 election, and other people said, hey, if, if they get their way, 
the reason it's going to be if they get their way 13 justices on the Supreme Court because right now the so-called breakdown is six conservative and three liberal Supreme Court justices and so that totals nine six and three well you add four more justices to the court from nine to thirteen well four plus seven four plus three equals seven so you'd have a seven six balance that would be favoring the Democrats and that's why they're going to go for that and some people say well if, if, if the Democrats get the 13 when the Republicans come in they'll add two more to make it more of a conservative but there's no stopping we might have a thousand justices on the Supreme Court before it's all over but hey the Democrats aren't going to hold back they've got the power the winds behind them right now and whether you're talking about packing the court or DC statehood or some of the other things that have been almost uh, too impossible to believe could happen, they're going to try to make happen. Well, the thing that bothers me as someone that's been around a while, John, uh, is looking at what the Democrats are trying to do is nothing more than just a bare-faced power grab. A lot of times in politics, a party will have an agenda and pursue that agenda, and at least as an adjunct to that agenda, people will be helped. Um, you can grab power in politics, but while at the same time advancing some things that are good for the country. But there's nothing good for the country about just expanding the Supreme Court. There's nothing good for you and me or any other citizen in this country about attempting to make Washington, D.C. the 51st state. If Washington, D.C. were a state today, and if there were Supreme Court had been expanded to 13 members. Uh, what 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 group in this country does that help? What interest does that advance? Nothing. The only thing that is advanced by the Democrats in doing these things is to increase their power. And when you have a naked power grab like this, it's so distasteful, and I think it will be something that the Democrats pay for at the polls in the midterm elections. Court packing, that is the subject, the uh, subject du jour here on the Y'all Show. And we'll find out if, if indeed we get closer to that. Of course, you can go back and Joe Biden as a candidate almost said that uh, no way would he support such a thing. Well, that's kind of changed to he, me. He called it, John, John, when he was a senator and this issue came up, he called it a bonehead idea. <laughs> Literally called it a bonehead idea. But I guess, as we say in the South, it depends on whose ox is in the ditch. And uh, his ox wasn't in the ditch back then. It is now. So it's turned from a bonehead idea to something that is necessary. Of course, the Democrats say that the Trump administration, quote, packed the court, close quote. Uh, but of course, that's not true. The Constitution was followed. A person was nominated. The Senate had hearings. And with the advice and consent of the Senate, Donald Trump was able to appoint two justices. Nothing illegal, nothing outside the law, but for some reason, in their deranged thinking, the left wing of the Democratic Party feels as though Trump, quote, packed the court. At least that's what they're trying to tell you. Uh, I, would, I would warn people uh, not to take what you hear on ABC, CBS, NBC, CNN, or even Fox News at face value. Do your own thinking. Be a Southern person, uh, do your own thinking, form your own opinion. I'm just saying that my opinion is 
it aligns with yours, John. Where does it end? If the Democrats place four on, okay, and the Republicans are elected next time, do they put two more on or four more on? Uh, it's something that is nothing more than a, an attempt to turn the Supreme Court into another legislative body. Uh, absolutely not adhering to the delicate balance that the founding fathers were able to achieve in 1776. And remember, it's been since the 19th century that the Supreme Court it was enlarged to have nine justices to the court, to the high court. So changing it is a really, really extraordinary move if that were to happen. And I think, in my own opinion, Art, that the Democratic Party, the Democrats, the liberals have a had a severe case of gluteus maximus hurt mm -hmm. after Merrick Garland was denied a chance to be added to the court. The, the way that Mitch McConnell back in 2016, I guess that's when that was, found strategically a way to not even hear the case for him as a Supreme Court Justice. They've been pretty upset since that happened. Well, they've been upset, but if you look at the Merrick Garland situation, it does not align perfectly with the situation uh, that faced the Congress when Amy Coney Barrett was nominated and approved by the Senate on short notice. Basically, if you have the votes uh, in the Senate, you can do what Mitch McConnell did in uh, 2016. Uh, it, it was it was nothing. There was no violation of the Constitution. There was no changing of laws. It, what happened with Merrick Garland was uh, an abiding by the Senate rules. Did the Democrats like it? No, but. Nobody alleges that Mitch McConnell broke any rules or laws by not bringing Merrick Garland's nomination to the floor of the Senate. What the Democrats are doing now is a horse of a different color, John. They are looking to pack the court. Uh, they are looking to change the laws, the Judiciary Act. Uh, there have been several Judiciary Acts, one of 1839, which set the court at nine members. And um, the Democrats strategy here, unfortunately, leaves in its wake uh, hundreds of years of tradition, and, and it is not anywhere in my mind aligned with what Mitch McConnell did in not taking Merrick Garland's nomination to the floor. Keep in mind that Art Cruz has had a few years, I guess is a nice way of putting it, in the legal career, so you know a little bit about uh, the law and such, so that's part of his rationale talking to us here on the Y'all Show. This is the show covering everything Southern, and if you want to be a part of it, uh, we welcome your input. 803-816-1170 is the way to do the, do, let your fingers do the, the uh, walking and talking and reach us here. We'd love to hear from all y'all. All right. We'll take a break. Quick look one more time at some of the news ahead. Southern and more and one quick look at headlines before we wrap up this hour and get out of here for the day. An update coming from Austin, Texas. Police have now arrested the, the former sheriff's detective that was on the run, a sheriff's deputy that allegedly killed three people in a violent 
outbreak there in the northern suburbs of Austin, Texas, but an arrest there and that developing story, more gun violence and more. And the nation also, Art, is currently on edge with what's going on in Minneapolis. I know that's out of our footprint here, but prosecution now giving a closing argument in that Derek Chauvin trial there, George Floyd, of course, the case there. And uh, what do you think is going to happen from a reaction standpoint across the South, at least? Well, unfortunately, a lot of people who will demonstrate in the streets, and there will be demonstrations, and if there were demonstrations only, they'd be fine, but I expect nothing less than rioting, fires, destruction of property, and unfortunately, it really doesn't matter what the verdict is, because to those people who engage in these lawless acts, no matter what city they're to be found in, they're not trying to express an opinion about what happened in the courtroom or what happened uh, in the situation, in the fact pattern that led up to uh, the trial of Officer Chauvin. They're just using this, unfortunately, as an excuse to break the law. And I, as I've said many times before, I'm a First Amendment absolutist in terms of expressing your opinion that the Constitution guarantees us in the First Amendment. However, when you cross that line into law-breaking and rioting, destruction of other people's personal property, you're not expressing your opinion any longer. You're just abjectly breaking the law. And those people, I believe, should be arrested and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. I noticed that the NBA had sent out a memo, though, John, from the NBA front office to all of its teams saying, in essence, to be prepared when the verdict comes down to not play a game for the next two or three nights. In other words, the NBA is looking for a pause in its season as people react to this verdict. I think that pretty much tells you where we are today, that no matter what the verdict is, the NBA expects people to to engage in violence, to disrupt anything public, including a professional basketball game, to the point where they're just going to pause their season until the temperature of the country comes down and we can move forward. I thought it was a little silly, personally, the other day when the Minnesota Twins were hosting a game there when that case happened with right. the uh, other killing uh, at the hands of a police officer mistakenly thinking she had a taser when she killed the guy. And they, they canceled that game after the team had already warmed up, the national anthem had played, and they canceled that game. I thought that the Twins should be forced to forfeit. I mean, that's not fair. That's not fair to the team that was ready to play, and then the Twins decided, and it was an afternoon game, to cancel the game or postpone it. We are allowing uh, these lawbreakers, and that's what they are, to dictate what we do in our everyday life. I agree with you 100%, John. These teams have warmed up, they've taken the field. Fans were in their seats, enjoying their favorite beverage and a hot dog or whatever else they had. And suddenly, for, in my mind, no reason at all, the game is postponed. That, to me, is an indictment of our society that we're allowing these people that are nothing more than lawbreakers, nothing more than people who want to disrupt our society, I'm talking specifically about the violent factions uh, of Black Lives Matter, the violent factions of Antifa, and we're going to have to, to 
stop a professional baseball game after it's already started? To stop the NBA from proceeding in games? I think it's just the height of idiocy. And uh, again, we have to take a step back and look at how we're operating uh, these professional leagues if people on the outside can dictate when and where we play. What Art's basically trying to tell everybody to kind of sum it all up, it ain't right. It ain't right, y'all. It just ain't right. And if you don't think it's right, let us know. 803-816-1170. We've got This Is Y'all, Talk With a Southern Accent, and I'm John Rawl with Art Cruz. And we want to tell you what is coming up here on the Y'all Show this week. We want to make sure you, it's must-see radio, must-see podcast. Again, you can find a podcast of this available for free download at y'all.com. Y'all is the homepage of the South. And if you missed any of this relaunch show, this first show we've done in quite some time, check it out at y'all.com. That'll be posted there. Uh, what's the time frame there, John? If you have a show today, when if the listeners missed it or want to listen to the show, uh, how soon will it be dropped? It'll be immediate. Immediately. Immediately. Now, I don't know the definition of what immediate is, but it, it'll be pretty darn soon. That's all I can tell you. I like it. it depends on when you listen to it, because we, we're going to be adding radio stations, and some of our radio stations will be playing this at different times. So depending on where you live, depends, uh, if it's not there, I promise you it, it, it'll be there, unless there's a big technical snafu, and if that's the case, we'll, we'll get... We'll just have to recreate a show. Yeah, but what is on tap for the rest of this week on the Y'all Show? We're going to have our barbecue barrister on the Tuesday edition. And if you love good barbecue and good food, Matt Herman's will be filing a report with us on the Tuesday Y'all Show. You don't want to miss that. Plus, on the Tuesday Y'all Show, we'll have Art Cruz back with us to talk about what's going on in the world of sports and more. On the Wednesday Y'all Show, we're going to actually go to Atlanta. A brand new restaurant has opened there on Peach Street. It's called Kinship Butcher and Sundry. Miles Moody and Rachel Pack are the owners of that. They're going to be dropping by and we'll learn more about this brand new business that's opened up in Atlanta, Georgia. Again, a mixture of both a restaurant and a butcher shop. Check it out. Southern Business Interview. Kinship Butcher and Sundry in Atlanta, Georgia. On Thursday's Y'all Show, we're going to take you to Nashville, Tennessee. Precious Harris will have our Nashville Music Line report. And we'll find out what, what, what her reaction is to this week's ACM Awards. All that's coming up on the Thursday Y'all Show. Plus, we'll have an SEC report. Find out what's going on in terms of SEC football. We've seen some teams have their spring games. Alabama had a big spring football game this past weekend. We'll let you know about spring football. Also, college baseball within the Southeastern Conference. That's part of our SEC report on the Thursday Y'all Show. And then we'll be wrapping it up on Friday with more action from across the southeast and we'll have all kinds of fun stuff including hey are you much of a fisherman i'm not much of a i fish a lot i don't catch a lot oh okay well i don't fish at all but i'm going we're going to try to team up with someone who knows a little bit about fishing and we'll have a fishing forecast we hope for you as we wrap up the week on friday and then we're also just going to kind of tell you about new movies have you seen a new movie in the last three months I haven't been to the theater in Lord knows when, John. I don't know about you. Well, more and more movies are being added as more and more places kind of open up across the land. And we'll have a quick look at uh, what we hope will be a nice lineup of movies to choose from when Friday rolls around. We'll also have what we call the I-C-Y-M-I on Friday, y'all. So 
and that is in case y'all missed it we'll, we'll be replaying a portion of an interview from earlier in the week so all that will be on hand come on friday when we have our end of the week celebration but lots of good stuff here we can't thank everybody enough for for tuning us in on great radio stations across the southland and bear with us here as we kind of get our sea legs and if you have a question or comment a suggestion we are certainly open to that you can email us mail m-a-i-l mail at y'all.com or call or text us at the same number 803-816-1170 that's a number you can call 24 7 and and reach out to us 803-816-1170 john raw art crew wrapping up things and we got to get out of here because you've got big plans it sounds like uh, later on today tea time john it's a beautiful day got a tea time man. but i've enjoyed my hour with you i look forward to listening to you tomorrow beginning at 8 a.m and i'll jump on yeah in the studio with you tomorrow at the 10 o'clock hour. you know we can extend the show on if you want to cancel that tea time we can, we can just talk 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 john that's heresy, that is <laughs> heresy. yeah i'm envious of that tea time I, you know i i tell you i, I just got to get back out and play more and what a perfect time of year to start playing this is the time of the year john it's not too hot not too windy uh this I love the South, and I, I love it when it's hot, and it's going to be in the South. What, what's a typical tea time for you in the month of July? Oh, early, early, my friend, early. Get it, get in there, do it, get it done, and get home by by noon anyway. Ah, okay. So yeah, that'll be here pretty quick. Uh, those hundred and.